Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews with your host, Aaron Martell. Hello there, I'm Aaron Martell, and welcome to Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, a podcast where I talk about and review a rock album of my choice. Today I'm flying solo, no co-pilots, but if you're listening and you're interested in coming on the show to review an album with me, I'm always on the lookout for co-pilots to host the podcast with me. There are a few ways to get in touch with me, which I'll go over at the end of the show. So on this week's episode, I'm going to talk about Ozzy Osbourne's 1980 debut solo album, Blizzard of Oz. Oh man, Ozzy Osbourne. For quite a while in the early 80s, he was considered to be the craziest man in rock, so much so that he seemed almost scary to the general public. He certainly got a lot of press for his antics, which included biting the head off a live dove during a meeting with CBS executives in Los Angeles, and biting the head off a live bat during a concert in 1982. Episodes like these made Ozzy infamous, and he played up his image as the violent, satanic madman in his early interviews. It oftentimes overshadowed the music, and at first I didn't want anything to do with him, which was funny since I already liked the music of Ozzy's former band, Black Sabbath. But Ozzy's solo seemed to take the weirdness and scariness to the next level, and in my young, stupid brain, I thought that if I listened to his music I'd be turned into an evil Satanist or some shit like that. Then in 1983, I heard my first Ozzy song, Bark at the Moon, and thought, fuck, that's pretty good. I soon bought the Bark at the Moon album, and lo and behold, I was not transformed into a psychopath, but I really dug the mostly hard-rocking tunes. From then on, I got every Ozzy album as soon as it was released, and at some point, I went back and got his first two albums, probably in my very early 20s. So by now, I've been an Ozzy Osbourne fan for well over 30 years. So now I'm going to give you some basic facts about this record, brought to you by Wikipedia. Wikipedia, it's just a Google search away. Blizzard of Oz is the debut solo album by British heavy metal vocalist Ozzy Osbourne, released on September 20th, 1980 in the UK, and on March 27th, 1981 in the US on the Jet Records label. It was produced by Ozzy Osbourne, Randy Rhodes, Bob Daisley, and Lee Kerslake, and was recorded from March 22nd to April 19th, 1980 at Ridge Farm Studio, Rusper, England. It reached number 7 on the UK Albums Chart, and number 21 on the US Billboard 200, and is certified quadruple platinum by the RIAA. Okay, so let's go over the band lineup card for this album. We have Ozzy Osbourne, lead in harmony vocals. Randy Rhodes on guitars, Bob Daisley on bass, backing vocals, and gongs, Lee Kerslake on drums, percussion, tubular bells, and timpani, and Don Airy on keyboards. I'm going to completely ignore the travesty that was the 2002 re-recordings with different musicians playing the bass and drum parts because it's fucking stupid. So now I'll go into a track-by-track analysis of Blizzard of Oz. Leading off is I Don't Know. Written by Ozzy Osbourne, Randy Rhodes, and Bob Daisley.
the sound of a gong with a flanger effect on it is faded in, and then Randy Rhodes makes his presence felt with an awesome ascending riff. The rest of the band joins in, and a marching mid-tempo rocker ensues. Ozzy is in fine voice as he tells the world not to look up to him or put him on some kind of pedestal. He doesn't have all the answers to life's questions. It also can be viewed as a larger comment on authority or religion, and that sometimes you need to follow your own path and make your own discoveries instead of relying on others. The bridge section slows the tempo and gives the song a lighter, almost chiming kind of breather, as Ozzy states his case that it's up to you how to play the game of life. Then the heavy guitar crunches back in, and Randy rips out a fleet-fingered solo that serves notice that there's a new hotshot guitar slinger in town. A final verse and chorus finishes the song, and the record is off and running. This doesn't sound like Black Sabbath. How could it be, as Randy Rhodes and Tony Iommi were very different guitarists in terms of style? Yet it still fits in snugly with the newer, heavy metal that was emerging at the time. I fucking love this track, and it's a fantastic album opener. The next track is Crazy Train, written by Ozzy Osbourne, Randy Rhodes, and Bob Daisley. Conductor Ozzy calls out, all aboard, and the bass and drums pound in, accompanied by various sound effects, before Randy plays an iconic riff to start things off. The lyrics deal with society in general and Cold War-era hatred and paranoia. We put our blind faith and trust in our corrupt leaders, and we fall in line with whatever they want us to think. It's enough to drive you crazy, and Ozzy's going off the rails. Or maybe the words are open to different interpretations. What do you think? Though this is a hard-rocking tune, the chorus is extremely catchy, and Randy plays another scorching solo. This is arguably Ozzy's best-known solo song, even most of the general public is aware of it, at least in the United States, as it's been featured in car commercials. Along with that, there's probably a bit of a burnout factor with it among the fan base, as it's been so overexposed. But I don't give a shit. I still think this track kicks ass, and I can't imagine this record without it. I'll never skip it. The following track is Goodbye to Romance, written by Ozzy Osbourne, Randy Rhodes, and Bob Daisley. This one has a ballad-type feel to the music, as Randy's guitar has a clean, non-distorted sound, and the rhythm section lays down a slower tempo. Ozzy's singing carries some emotional weight, as the lyrics reflect his departure from Black Sabbath and his worries about having to go it alone. He acknowledges the change needs to be made, but it's sometimes hard to leave behind something that was so important to his life. Randy's solo sounds almost like someone crying and adds to the sad, almost wistful atmosphere, and Don Airy plays a melodic keyboard solo as the song fades out. This track shows a different, sensitive side to Ozzy the Lunatic, and it was played live frequently on his tours. I've always dug this one, and I think it's one of Ozzy's better ballads. 
Next up is D, written by Randy Rhodes. This is a short and sweet acoustic piece written by Randy that shows off some of the classical music influences in his playing. Randy had a long interest in classical guitar, first taking lessons when he was seven years old, and later on even sought out classical guitar teachers to give him lessons while he was on tour. He first gained notice as one of the founding members of Quiet Riot, a band that would later go on to some success after Randy left, and I've heard some of the music he made back then with them. It's okay, nothing wrong with it, but it also wasn't special. Nothing really made the music stand out. When Randy was hired by Ozzy, he was encouraged to play what he wanted, and he was able to expand past mere rock riffing. The title D is the first letter of Randy's mother's name, Dolores, and this little piece showcases some different, maybe unexpected elements to his playing. For me, honestly, this doesn't really need to be on the record, so I'm afraid I'm going to call it Aaron's Stinky Stinker. Not because I think it's bad. I don't. It's great. But because it's really the least essential track. However, it does serve as a sort of intro to the next track. And that next track is Suicide Solution, written by Ozzy Osbourne, Randy Rhodes, and Bob Daisley. starts off with a riff Randy brought over from his Quiet Riot days, used in the verses of a song called Force of Habit. Then it becomes a stomping mid-tempo rocker with lyrics about how alcohol abuse can destroy the abuser, a virtual form of suicide. This song was at the center of controversy when on January 12, 1986, a lawsuit against Ozzy was filed by the parents of John McCollum, a depressed teenager who committed suicide allegedly after listening to it. In his defense, Ozzy stated in court that when the song was being written, the words, wine is fine, but whiskey's quicker, came to him suddenly and were a reflection not on the merits of suicide, but rather on the death of ACDC vocalist Bon Scott, a friend of Ozzy's who had recently died of alcohol-related misadventure. Bob Daisley, who wrote the majority of the song's lyrics, stated that he actually had Ozzy's own substance abuse issues in mind when he composed the song. Fortunately, the McCollum's complaint was dismissed on the grounds that the First Amendment protected Ozzy's right to free artistic expression. But ultimately, no lawsuit or bad press was going to prevent this phenomenal track from becoming one of Ozzy's most popular songs and a live staple. So let's flip the imaginary record over and drop the imaginary needle on Mr. Crowley, written by Ozzy Osbourne, Randy Rhodes, and Bob Daisley. Mr. Crowley Your life doesn't mean you seem so trash. 
a creepy and lengthy keyboard section by Don Airy makes this heavy mid-tempo tune instantly recognizable. The verses leave a lot of space for Ozzy to sing the lyrics, which are about Aleister Crowley, an English occultist, ceremonial magician, poet, painter, novelist, and mountaineer. Crowley founded the religion of Thelema and gained widespread notoriety during his lifetime as a recreational drug experimenter, bisexual, and an individualist social critic, being denounced in the popular press as the wickedest man in the world. Ozzy had read a book about Crowley, and that, along with a deck of tarot cards that were found in the studio, inspired this song. As a controversial figure, Ozzy could certainly relate to Crowley, and these lyrics resonate with his delivery. There are two fantastic guitar solo sections by Randy in the middle and at the end of the track that help form the basis of his later being considered one of the great rock guitarists of all time. Mr. Crowley has always been a staple of Ozzy's live set and is considered one of his great songs, and I'm certainly not going to argue that. It's fucking awesome. Moving on, we get No Bone Movies, written by Ozzy Osbourne, Randy Rhodes, Bob Daisley, and Lee Kerslake. This is a straight-ahead, no-frills hard rocker, with a decent riff and uncomplicated rhythm. Ozzy sings about being addicted to pornography, and the lyrics basically spell everything out, no complex meanings here. It occurs to me I haven't commented much on the rhythm section of this band, Bob Daisley and Lee Kerslake, and that's basically because, though they both do a fine job, they seem to be the type of musicians that strictly play only for the song. They aren't flashy players, they don't do anything really notable or special, and they seem to let Randy do all the musical heavy lifting, which is fine, it all works. Though I don't dislike it, this particular track is one of the lesser songs on the album in my opinion. Even Randy's solo isn't spectacular. But it bridges the gap between Mr. Crowley and the next track, which is the penultimate track on the album, Revelation Mother Earth, written by Ozzy Osbourne, Randy Rhodes, and Bob Daisley. It starts off slow, with acoustic guitar and atmospheric keyboards, and then Ozzy comes in, wailing about the violent history of humankind and how it will lead to its eventual self-destruction. After two verses of this, an electric guitar kicks in, and the music gains power and urgency, while staying at that slow tempo, while Ozzy relates his vision of empires falling and the world burning if the human race keeps feeding its hatred of each other. He implores help from both the father of creation and the mother figure of earth itself so that we may come to see the error of our ways. Ozzy is prophet of doom. We then reach the halfway point of the song and a long keyboard solo rides us out of the slow section and connects us to the fast part where Randy's guitar cranks up and the track turns into a hard rock showcase for Randy Rhodes who turns in an amazing guitar solo. 
It's between this one and Mr. Crowley for my vote as best Randy Solo on the record, and it could very well be this one. It's so fucking fast and exciting. This track is epic and a standout for me. And that brings us to the final track, Steal Away the Night, written by Ozzy Osbourne, Randy Rhodes, and Bob Daisley. This one is a balls-out rocker that never strays from its fast tempo, as Ozzy gives us his version of a love song, oddly enough. Ozzy wants the girl to run away with him, as she brings tears of joy to his eyes. Aw, Ozzy, you old softy. These lyrics would almost be comical if the track didn't rock so fucking hard, and Ozzy sings the words with gusto. The chorus is a total sing-along, accompanied by a cool ascending riff, and Randy gives us another kick-ass solo. The track continues to chug along through a final verse and chorus until it ends on a hard chord. Blam! Great track. I dig it. Now that the track by track is finished, let's go into my final thoughts and album rating. For you new listeners, the album rating is a 0-5 to system, with 5 being a favorite album of mine, all the way down to a 0, which is a flaming piece of shit. When Ozzy Osbourne was fired for good by Black Sabbath in 1979, He signed with Sabbath's manager, Don Arden, and the search was on to put a group together around him, aided by his daughter, Sharon, whom Ozzy would later marry and allow to take over as his manager. At first, the band was going to be called The Blizzard of Oz, but when this album was released, the record company credited it under Ozzy's name and titled the record Blizzard of Oz, and his solo career officially began. It's been said that Randy Rhodes was unhappy with this, but he went along with it as he was known as a relatively easygoing guy. Through the years, Ozzy has worked with a number of top-tier hard rock-slash-metal guitarists in his career. Jakey Lee, Zach Wilde, Gus G. But no one has had the impact or acclaim of Randy Rhodes. Randy was a a one-in-a-million talent who blended his diverse musical influences into an easily recognizable signature style that has in turn influenced countless guitarists who came up after him. His genius is all over this album though I do think there's a sort of thinness to the production that doesn't give you a full picture of what the man was capable of. But conversely, it does lend the album a certain charm. This record comes with its fair share of controversy, particularly when talking about the songwriting process and credits. The general consensus is that Randy wrote the music while Bob Daisley wrote the lyrics, and how much actual involvement Ozzy himself had in the songwriting is debatable. It ended up with Bob Daisley and Lee Kerslake suing Ozzy for unpaid royalties, prompting Sharon Osbourne to have the original bass and drum parts re-recorded by bassist Rob Trujillo, now of Metallica, and drummer Mike Borden from Faith No More. This was originally released in 2002 as a remastered reissue, and the fans were not told about the newly recorded parts. This, of course, created a firestorm among the fan base causing a sticker to be put on the new CDs warning about the re-recorded parts, and eventually the lawsuits were dismissed and the original bass and drum parts were restored. But Aaron, you say, how do you rate this album? Fucking A, this album is a heavy metal classic. Half of the album is still regularly played by Ozzy live, and everybody knows Crazy Train. This record gets a five, are you kidding me? Ozzy debuts as a solo artist and knocks it out of the park. 
largely thanks to Randy Rhodes. All hail Ozzy! Now I'd like to offer a shout-out to all those who have liked and or shared the podcast on Facebook last week. Those people are Paul Lang, Tessa Lambert, Ray Zimmer, Thomas Martin, and Ann Martell. And to everyone around the world who have downloaded and listened to the podcast, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts and hope you continue to listen. The show is still pretty young, and we hope to continue to grow and develop a community on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page. So if you have any music topics, or really any topic, you want to post there, please be my guest and have at it. We'd like to get more interactive with you. And again, I can't say it enough. Thank you all for checking out the podcast. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. We're still looking for our first review. So if you take the time to do that, I'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact me directly, I can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, which is another place where you can review the show and there's a link to hear each podcast. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with me? Shoot me an email. We'll set it up. I'm always looking for co-pilots to host the show with me, and I would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. I'd love to hear from you. And lastly, here at R4, we thank you so much for giving this podcast a listen, and a massive thank you if you like and support the show. Take care, and I'll catch you later.